The following podcast may contain spoilers, profanity, and views or opinions that may not be representative of the author's intent of the articles discussed. We don't always take ourselves or the subject matter seriously either. Listener discretion is advised. The following is a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com. The Force is strong with us, and we hope it is strong with you. Welcome to another edition of the New Jedi Archives with Zach Hagenbusher and Ben Schultz. Well, hello, Zach. And hello, Ben. How are you this fine day? You know what? I am okay. I am glad that we're finally able to get together again and give our listeners something to listen to after now this will be four weeks. I, I really do apologize for that layover, uh, and I know that it's keep, it seems to be happening more and more often, but you know, Ben, your, li- your life and my life continue to get a little more complicated. It, that, that is an accurate statement. That's right. <laughs> Especially around that holiday time. And then now, you know, into January, I know that we had some weather issues, we had a lot of things going on, so I'm, I'm not trying to make excuses, but at the same time, I'm trying to make a little bit of excuses, so. I, I heard on the bright side of things, the uh, groundhog has seen his shadow, Oh, or has not seen his shadow, so he will, uh, we will have spring. You know, I wouldn't be shocked, considering how long it took for winter in Wisconsin to take effect. But enough of our shenanigans, enough of our excuses. I want to thank everybody who's listening to this episode on GNCasts.com, the Galactic Netcast website. Uh, I also want to thank everyone listening on Spreaker.com, the original home of this podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for being a part of the new Jedi Archives family. I like to think it's a big family, Ben. Yeah. Yeah, and a big shout out to the day ones. Haven't done that in a while. <laughs> Thank you to the day ones for sticking with us for so long. Uh, speaking of the fine folks who listen to this podcast, uh, we want to remind you, you also have a shot to win a very awesome prize. 23 karat gold cards made up for the original trilogy and Shadows of the Empire back in the mid-90s. Um, you can win these cards by simply sending us a message on social media with your you know feedback for the show, a question for the show, um, sending us an email, newjediarchives at gmail.com. Or Death threats to Ben count. Yep, those do count. It's not very nice, but they do count. <laughs> or you can meet us at Fire and Ice in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, uh, February 20, what is it, 23rd? 23rd and 24th? I think you might be right. I was going to ask if we were confirmed for that. I thought we were confirmed for that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Okay, we're just going to go ahead and say we are confirmed. Fire and Ice, February 23rd and 24th, will be there, and we hope that you will be there too to take a look at your possibly grand prize with all that pre-show nonsense out of the way let's get started with at long last our look at the clone wars season one now ben you and i t- 
talked a bit about some of the episodes and some of the themes from this season in our overview of the Clone Wars that we did um, all the way back near the beginning of the podcast. I think it was like our third or fourth episode. Oh, okay. It's been a long time. I don't remember. Well, and I talk about the Clone Wars cartoon series all the time because I love it. Right. So. It doesn't surprise me that we talked about it way back in our third and fourth episode. We didn't break it down in the same fashion that we did Star Wars Rebels, though. And so I wanted to go back and and give each season its due. And I think that uh, you will agree that it's it, it deserves that treatment. I do agree. Uh, let me start with a little bit of real-world perspective here. Um, when you first heard that... Star Wars the Clone Wars was happening. When you first heard, I mean I guess the you know the the movie, the theatrical release that did wind up coming and then the TV show to follow. Uh how did you hear about it and what was your initial reaction to that? Well, um my initial reaction was kind of mixed. Um I am probably in the minority of people who actually liked the feature film. I, mean, I think it would have been uh, done more service released as episodes because I think it's very episodic in its nature. Uh, but I enjoyed it. So I, I on one hand, was really excited to see more of it. And on the other hand, uh, was kind of trepidatious because the pacing of the film really uh, the pacing of the film was like it was two or three television episodes i agree broken down and so that made me nervous because on one hand it might be that these people would do great with episodes because that's how the movie looked on the other hand it also meant they might not be able to manage time properly so i was concerned but it was more anakin and i like anakin I guess the aim of my question was more from when you first heard about it. Did you think that the idea of a series that would actually delve into more of the Clone Wars, you know, now this is three years after Episode 3 was released in theaters, uh, did you think that this was something that George should pursue? I I think it is something he should pursue because it's one of the... Um, unless you're going all the way back to the Old Republic, it's one of the times in the past that you still have more story to tell and you can do it with characters that we know and love. And there are a finite number of areas within the films that you can do that. So you had you always had a positive outlook on it. There was never a moment where you were, even at the, before you had seen anything, where you were trepidatious about... Uh, the possibility of this series. No, I don't, I don't think there was ever a time that I thought this was going to be terrible. Okay. That is interesting considering how much you revile the prequel films. (laughs) Yeah, but no, I, I thought this, you know, uh, and again, seeing the feature film, um, just encouraged me, I guess. Now this was back in 2008 and I, I did not, this is going to be her- heretic. Are you ready? Okay. Uh, I never saw the feature film in theaters. You are a heretic. I know, right? It's very, very strange. 
Um, I mean, my God, I went and saw Last Jedi in theaters, Zach, and I don't like that movie. Yeah, except that, of course, you went to see it in theaters because <laughs> that's different. I mean, I, I, it was 2008. I solo in theaters, Zach. It was the summer of 2008. I was a sophomore go, becoming a junior in high school. I did not yet have a driver's license. I, I am ashamed to admit that I did fail my driver's test the first time, as I'm sure many people do. Uh, and I, I failed to get my license before that junior year began. Um, I also did not have a job, did not have disposable income, and my parents were not interested in going to see the movie. Uh, nor were they particular. I mean, I, I guess I never really worked up the courage to ask someone to take me or give me some money so I could go, you know, with friends. And, and to be honest, the friends that I had also were not very interested in the movie at all. So uh, I was kind of stuck in limbo of of not being able or not really having an interest in seeing that movie. So that is the one Star Wars theatrical release in my lifetime that I did not go see. Now, see, I did go see it in the theaters because I was not in high school. I actually had two kids at that point in time and took them with me to the theater. So what did they think of this? Because this was very clearly a uh, aimed at children. Um, you know, it was they, on it was on the Cartoon Network. It was an animated film uh, or well, the, the series was on Cartoon Network and this was an animated film uh, meant to kind of capture the imaginations of a new generation of Star Wars fans. Do you do you remember what their reactions to the movie were? Um, I remember they loved them. They loved the movie. And actually, this became one of the few things on television that we would get together as a family to watch as it came out. Wow. So there, there aren't many, there are many shows on TV where we all sit down to watch it at the same time for whatever reason, but we made sure we were together when Clone Wars episodes debuted. That's awesome. That is awesome. A little piece of Star Wars that your entire family enjoyed. Yep. Well, except my wife, she only puts up with it because the rest of us like it, but you know, whatever. <laughs> Hey, that's what that's what uh, significant others are for, right? Right. That's what marriage is all about. Putting up with stuff you don't like because the other people like it. Right. Putting up with Star Wars so your husband shuts the hell up. That's what marriage is right there. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, so we get to the beginning of the show itself. And you and I have, we talked a little bit about what our five favorite episodes would be. And we kind of looked at this and we thought, well, there are, there are so many great arcs. You know, that that's the thing Rebels didn't do. They did more of it in the later seasons. But initially, you know, season one and season two, a lot of Rebels episodes were very self-contained. So it yeah. was really easy for us to pick out individual episodes and say, hey, that's a great episode of this show. But Clone Wars, from the get-go, uh, was very arc-focused. You know, telling a, uh, a series of episodes, you know, two to three. Uh, of the same story kind of continuing upon itself. Now, I I did note that there were a few of these arcs that did have relatively self-contained episodes within them. Like right. if, if you had been watching on that particular night or Saturday morning or whatever you had caught it and you only were watching the one, you weren't watching it in this, in succession with the others, you could still get a little dose of adventure and you would still have your, your Clone Wars fix for that day. Um, but 
a lot of them are meant to be told in succession are meant to be seen together, which makes them perfect for binge watching and uh, purchasing on DVD and Blu-ray and and checking it all out, uh, which is how I first consumed the series Uh, again. I didn't actually have cable at this time, did not have Cartoon Network, um, and I wound up purchasing the entire season on DVD a few years later when I finally did have a job and disposable income. Uh, and so, lo and behold, I was very impressed with it, And it, which is, I was, I, I, what am I trying to say? I was a little surprised at how impressed with it I was because the the feedback that I had gotten, mostly from the folks I had met while working for our good friend Adam Netzler at Chatham Games, was, oh, this is uh, it's just more that prequel bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, uh, it's not. It's really not. It, it, in From the get-go, from the first arc, the malevolence arc, which I think counts in both of our charts as one of the best sets of episodes in this season yep um it sets the stage for what we're going to expect i mean this is the first ongoing star wars television show ever to hit the airwaves and it starts off with a bang uh frankly a plot that might even be a little more intricate than some of the feature films right uh an all-around good time revolving around a ship called the malevolence it is a uh, a large. Which, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say let let's take a moment to uh, uh, think about the idea. Like I I'm a big fan of saying you know the separatists were right and Count Dooku's not a bad guy. Um, but if you name your starship the Mon- Malevolence, like there's no good way to spin that. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, I, I can name a starship, the destroyer, the interceptor, you know, the, you know, reign of whatever. You, you, there are a lot of names you can do where you're like, I'm going to instill fear in my opponent by naming this ship something fearsome and terrible. But the malevolence is literally evil. <laughs> well, There's Ben, no way to spin it. That's because Count Dooku and the rest of the separatists are in fact, transparently evil. Now I disagree, but I'm still just letting you know. Sure. That they're, you know, that the naming, like if I ever, if I ever get a starship, I'm naming it the malevolence just for this reason. But, um, you have to be a special kind. I think it was an ironic name is what I'm saying. Okay. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Dooku was like, I will name it to the malevolence to throw right. Palpatine off my trail. Right. Like, like I, I will name my yacht the, uh, I don't know, uh, aid to third world countries. I don't know. <laughs> um, to throw all of you off my trail. Well, this, uh, this was a particularly fearsome battleship. Uh, it was equipped with a giant ion cannon, the first, I think you could say, of of the super weapons um, chronologically in the Star Wars timeline here. Um, a, a large weapon that could affect entire capital class vessels. Um, a very large ion cannon, essentially. Um, and 
the first episode is kind of focused around Plo Koon and a group of clone troopers that are trying to uh, survive in the depths of space after their ship is attacked by the Malevolence. And the Malevolence is sending out, it, commanded by General Grievous, and I believe Count Dooku is on board as well, is sending out droid boarding parties to go and kill the survivors of this attack so that no one discovers the actual, uh, no one discovers the weapon, so they can't get word right. out about it. Uh, of course, you know, good guy Dooku, you know, being such a good guy. But anyway. Uh, well, because you have to destroy evil people before they can warn their other evil friends. Right, of course. Evil people, like Plo Koon, who, by the way, really didn't prove himself to be very evil in any respect in this show. But He's a Jedi. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, we do find out in this arc right away that Ahsoka has a f- kind of a relationship with Plo. Um, he was the Jedi Master that found her and brought her back to the Jedi Temple. Um, so they have kind of a already sort of a master-apprentice relationship, which does kind of clash a little bit with her being Anakin's apprentice, not outwardly and it's not as if they can you know they confront it within the episode but i think that it was definitely something that i took note of even watching it for the first time just kind of like huh so even though anakin is ahsoka's master should he really have ever been well but that and i'm sure we'll get into that because i'm sure we'll talk about ahsoka more in depth when we're done going over our episodes but honestly that there's a reason the Jedi Council put Ahsoka with Anakin. Right. It's just interesting that it's possible that she might have been better suited for another Jedi Master. Well, and, and it's ironic, um, going back to the feature film, I think it's Yoda that says um, they know Anakin's going to be a good teacher. They just think he'll have difficulty letting go of his apprentice when it's time. Right. Which, and <laughs> boy, are they right just, about that. Right. Yeah. Yoda gets one right. Yay. Um, but I, I think that that may have been, uh, you know, I think the reason they may not have put her with Plo Koon is because she may have been too attached to him already. That's fair enough. Yeah. I mean, you, you and, do want to try and, and practice uh, the lack of attachment. Right. Because there's an episode, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it, because I think it's in the Lerman arc where Ayla Sakura, Sakura tells uh, uh, Ahsoka, that very thing when Anakin, I'm getting ahead of ourselves, but that's an important element. So I think that's probably why she was not Plo Koon's Padawan. Yeah, very well could be. Um, it, that's as good of a reason as any. Uh, there's a lot going on in this arc, but really it's just an all around good time. Old school Star Wars fun, big set pieces, big characters. Um, and a, a happy ending. They are able to destroy the malevolence, uh, but Grievous and Dooku are both able to uh, escape. And I think one of the important things about the malevolence arc that they, um, I don't know if you picked up on, but I actually did not think episode one was very strong. Really? Ambush. Um, that's one so of my favorite, they- that's one of my favorites in the, I uh, probably the entire series just because of the, the sinister mood that it sets and it gets pretty dark right off the bat. 
See, I'm not a fan of that episode um, for a variety of reasons, and we can talk about them later. Uh, but I really think they needed the Malevolence arc to bring in that Star Wars feel to let you know that this was um, something with real stakes and not just going to be a fan service series. Because I think the very first episode was a lot of fan service. I think I think people wanted to see more Yoda, especially uh, after oh, the you saw in the in the prequels i see what you mean i'm I'm sorry i forgot about that episode right that's like the first actual episode of the series i that wasn't what i was talking about i was talking about the um the first episode of this arc i thought that's what you were referring to i meant the first episode of the series overall which is ambush i agree Uh, and i did not like that episode very much i mean it's it's still entertaining but um as an introduction to this series i don't think it does the series itself service i think malevolence sets a much better tone and uh so i think they really needed it it's good placement to put it second you didn't want to wait too long for it i agree uh the next episode that we both agree is one of the top five of the season is rookies happens to be number five a one episode uh self-contained plot an attack on the Rishi outpost strands three fresh clones in a battle against the odds. Basically, uh, Cody and Rex wind up showing up to help out fives heavy and echo fight back and prevent the separatists from gaining a key position to attack Camino. That's what they're going for. And that's what the sergeant of the clones makes uh, very clear, even though most of the time this Rishi outpost is a very boring assignment. Uh, right. It is it is very important to the Republic war effort, and the Separatists bring the big guns. These commando droids were badass. Yes, they were. They they can infiltrate intelligently. They have great stealth skills. They can give a passing impression of a clone trooper for the most part. I mean, uh, when when you're in when Cody and Rex were in front of them, they immediately figured out something was up. But still, the fact that they're intelligent enough to even try. I mean, the B ones. The regular battle droids that are in, you know, the prequel films are are not even close to coming up with these sort of plans. Right. They're dumb. They're very dumb. Except for Roger. Of course. Well, he was reprogrammed by the Freemakers. Yeah. But even he's a little dumb. Let's be honest. But we see some clones that will then follow some of these clone troopers. I think you see fives throughout the series, throughout yep. the season. Fives and Echo wind up surviving. They're the only survivors, along with Cody and Rex, of the attack on the Rishi outpost. They do wind up having to destroy the outpost, and Heavy uh, sacrifices himself to do so um, to make sure that the Republic is alerted to the Separatists' presence and that they can uh, shore things up and prevent them from gaining this foothold. Uh, I thought that it was a really, really cool, again, setting the tone of the series that you can tell a story mostly bereft of Jedi. I mean, you you do get the appearances from afar of Obi-Wan and Anakin, but they are not directly part of the action. You know, Rex and Cody and... uh, the other clones are the centerpieces of this episode. And I thought that it was high drama. Oh, I agree. And, and Rex is one of my favorite characters in the story um, for a number of, not necessarily in this story, but I I mean, in clone wars in star Wars, actually um, for reasons, both in Canon and out of Canon. Um, 
but I think seeing Rex and Cody on screen is more than just set pieces for Jedi drama was great. Uh, moving on to, I think the last, well, one of the last ones that we agree on, I think it, well, well, I think we, I think we only don't agree on one and that's the first time that we've run into that. We'll get to that in a bit, but we have the Lerman arc. Um, Anakin is injured in a battle and he and Ahsoka and Ayla Sakura wind up crashing onto the planet of Meridun. I believe it's pronounced, uh, or it might be Meridun. I'm, I'm not sure. I think it's Meridun. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, which is under a degree of separatist control. And the Lerman, who are, I believe, the native species of the planet, are kind of trying to, at least this tribe of Lerman that we come across in this episode, are trying to main- maintain neutrality. This is definitely an arc that we talked about uh, in that overview of the Clone Wars series back at the beginning of the podcast, Um, because the themes of this episode are very wide reaching into the Star Wars universe. This is an example of a quote unquote neutral party, regular people who are being affected by the conflict that plays out on the in in, on the cinematic screen. Uh, And the tribal leader, Tiwat Ka, he wants nothing to do with the Clone War at all. He thinks that all these people should leave leave their people be, even though they're, they are being suppressed and oppressed. Get it? Oppressed. Right. We'll, we'll get to that character in a few weeks. Um, (laughs) but they're, they're being oppressed in a way by the separatists, even with their neutrality. I mean, the separatists are kind of bullying them around because they know that they won't fight back. Uh, but his son wag Two, feels that the droids have done them enough harm and that it's time to get them out of here, that the Lerman need to take up arms. And the droids do eventually, you know, with, with when the Jedi are discovered there, um, the droids do eventually stage a large-scale assault on the Lerman village. And despite Tiwatka's initial resolve to die with his principles, essentially, um, his son and the other Lerman fight back, and they do help the Jedi stop the droids from killing them. Uh but at what cost, right? Well, and and there are a couple of key things in this arc that are, I think, are important. Um, you know, first off, we learn obviously because the story is told from the perspective of the Jedi and the Republic. Um, the Separatists are oppressing people, but the Jedi are being just as pushy to get the Lerman involved in the war. They're just not occupying the planet at the moment, right? So we we see you know one of the examples uh, of you know both sides of the war are effectively doing the same thing to the common person, as Jin Erzo would later say, if you don't look up and see the flag, it doesn't really matter. Um, paraphrase, obviously not a quote, uh, but this is also as I mentioned earlier, where Ayla Secure tells uh, Ahsoka that this is why the Jedi don't want attachments. Because Ahsoka is making decisions based on the fact that she wants to save Anakin. She doesn't want to... I think they have to abandon him for a a period of time. Yeah, they do. They have to leave him behind so that they can try and find help, essentially. And Ahsoka doesn't want to leave him behind. You know, there's decisions that have to be made, and and Ahsoka's emotions are getting in the way. Um, And so I think it's an interesting episode arc for that 
purpose as well. Uh, we really learn how all of this is affecting people of all kinds. Uh, this is where we kind of differ. Uh, do you want to go first or should I? Well, I actually may change my mind because I actually have two now that I was thinking of that oh. we should have included. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll go through my final two favorite arc slash episodes of the season. And if you have a rebuttal, go ahead. Okay. Okay. So my first selection was the Blue Shadow Virus arc. Takes place on Naboo. Uh, an evil scientist, Dr. Vindy, like right out of the right out of the 1930s serials. George really pulled some inspiration from those. Um, uh, he winds up re uh, reigniting, if you will. He brings back to life, as he puts it, the blue shadow virus, which was a very deadly virus um, that had been eradicated from the galaxy up to that point. And he brings it back in an even deadlier form, an airborne, very contagious form. Uh the heroes wind up breaking into the base and they think that they've stopped him from releasing this virus. But one of his droid helpers winds up taking one of the uh, last canisters of the virus and sacrifices itself to blow up a bomb containing the virus and spreading it to a group of clones, including Rex and Padme and Ahsoka, who are still in the base at the time. Uh, so they are trapped there. Anakin and Obi-Wan, and especially Anakin, is absolutely, he's hes going off the deep end. He's like, oh my God, this is insane. And he's, right, he's just killed the three non-Obi-Wan important people in his life. That's right, and it's, including his wife. And right. he needs to find a cure for this, so they wind up going to Iego, which is a planet that was actually mentioned by Anakin himself in episode one. And we do get the appearance, by the way, of the angel that Anakin mentions. Hey, are you an angel? I think they're <laughs> from the moons of Viego, I think. Right? Right. So we, we do actually see one of these angels, and she does say that her race did used to live on one of the moons of Viego before they were forced out of it by the Separatists. Um, but that that's neither here nor there. The reason why they go there is because there is a root that is native to the planet uh, that they believe will counteract the blue shadow virus. But they have to get through a minefield of uh, essentially a trap, a space trap. It's very confusing, and it relies on satellites and lasers, and I'm not entirely sure why it was set up there. I think it's implied that the Separatists set it up so that nobody on Iego, on Iego could leave. Well, possibly because that's where the cure was to the virus they were making. Well, it had been there for some time. What had been there for some time? The trap. Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean they were haven't been working on bringing the virus back to life for some time either. Well, Vindy. Oh no, you're, I was gonna, I was going to say I thought he did it independently, but no, he definitely did not. He had many battle droids down in the base with him. Yep. Um, so it was a separatist plot. Uh, you know what, Ben? You are right. That that could be why they tried to... Because uh, if that's the only known cure, obviously the virus isn't scary if everybody can get the antidote. 
Right, but Anakin and Obi-Wan are able to, kind of by brute force, they take a couple of droids from uh, from the planet that were reprogrammed by a boy, and I, I literally just watched this episode. I do not remember the kid's name, so I apologize. You really? You don't remember his name? I don't. What was his name? Jabo Hood. There we go. Jabo. Jabo Hood. Um, who had actually I sound been- really smart, but I actually just have it up in front of me. Okay, well, whatever. <laughs> uh, he had actually been reprogramming battle droids that had been left on the planet for a while. He had his own little personal army, so to speak. Uh, and he reprogrammed some vulture droids to fly in. They wind up serving as a deterrent for the laser trap. And Anakin and Obi-Wan are able to destroy it. Get to Naboo and save Ahsoka and Padme in the nick of time. This is a very important episode for me personally, or episode arc, I should say, for me personally, because not only do we have to, do we get to see Anakin try and deal with the conflict of my wife, my wife and my Padawan are infected with a deadly virus that could kill them at any moment, but I can't actually reveal that she's my wife, or I will be thrown out of the Jedi Order. Right. Uh, And you get the, frankly, the very heroic nature of both Ahsoka and Padme. And we have have been very critical of Padme in the past, uh, maybe a little leery of her motives behind many different actions. But when she is infected with this virus, the same thing for Ahsoka. I mean, I expect it of the clones. But when she and Ahsoka are, are infected with this virus, there is no second thought of, panic there is no oh my i'm gonna die i'm gonna die screw this i'm gonna die or something you know they 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 keep their heads on their shoulders and they know that they have to prevent this virus from being spread to the rest of the planet they they put their boots on so to speak and they get the job done uh even though they know that their life their time is running short you know they essentially are facing certain death they don't know anything about an antidote what uh, what you don't realize is shortly after this episode is when Luke and Leia are conceived. <laughs> because Padme is in so much danger, she cannot contain herself. She's in so much trouble being the uh, quote-unquote danger slut that she is. So the... That's why you think this is a good is uh, one of your favorites? It Definitely. The, the, the layers of emotional conflict between the characters... In an, in a in a series that often doesn't have any quote unquote real drama, right? With in the sense that you know that the characters are eventually going to survive, because that's just how it has to go. Anakin, Obi Wan, Padme—they're all in Episode Three, and this show right. takes place before Episode Three. You know, you, you have that problem that all of the prequel films suffer from, um, and Ahsoka's fate is the one at this point that we did not know. So I, I granted it wasn't likely that they were going to kill her off in the middle of the season, but it was it was a possibility. Um, but I think the other thing is that even though you know they have to survive at the end, the situation that they're put in to get to that survival, the conflict was very engaging, was very interesting, and a situation we had never seen from Star Wars up to that point. Well, and, and I don't disagree with you that the situation was engaging and the story was real and that the layers of emotion were done well. Um, but this just doesn't qualify as one of my favorites, mostly because 
there really wasn't, and there was tension for the characters, but for me as a watcher, there really wasn't any. I didn't think they were going to kill Ahsoka because they weren't going to kill anybody else. So uh, I just didn't have that tension sitting on the edge of my seat that I probably would have okay. had this come out before episode three. Okay, that's that's fair enough. Uh, my last selection is the episode Hostage Crisis. It is actually the season finale, the last episode of season one. This is the introduction of the deadly bounty hunter Cad Bane, the Duros with a uh, life support system essentially attached to him at all times. Um, he brings and nerf and nerf skin uh, holsters. Right. He's got dual pistols. That makes him a badass. Badass, right. Uh, dual pistols and a cowboy hat. He doesn't get more badass than that. He brings Aura Singh and a group of other bounty hunters to stage a takeover of part of the Republic Senate and take Padme, Bail Organa, and a group of other senators hostage, all to try and free Zero the Hut, the villain, uh, one of the villains of the original movie, of the movie that started it all. Right. Um, but Anakin happens to be inside the Senate visiting Padme at the time of his attack. So not everything goes exactly according to plan, but for the most part, Cad Bane is able to outwit the Republic uh, and free Zero with the uh, basically holding the hostages to get Palpatine to give Zero a pardon. They let Zero out of prison and... uh, they ride off into uh, into the rest of Coruscant, into the cityscape. That's the end of the episode. The, there is no catching the bad guys at the end of the season, which is very interesting how they, they kind of left it on a cliffhanger. Um, yeah. But there there are other pieces of this episode that are, that are kind of cool. You know, we do get a window into Anakin and Padme's marriage, so to speak. Um, you know, Anakin is there asking her to kind of come away with him. He's like, I'm supposed to be on a meditative retreat, so... Instead of actually doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a, you know, a quote unquote good Jedi or whatever, let's go on vacation. Let's go somewhere. I know somewhere where nobody will recognize us. Then she doesn't want to go. Uh, she is very preoccupied with her work, very preoccupied as a senator. She believes they have a duty. Uh, you know, really pretty predictable <laughs> because these two should never have gotten married in the first place. No. No. So. My my first question for you is, um, so Palpatine wanted Zero out of prison. I don't know if Palpatine is the one who hired Cad Bane. Well, I have a hard time imagining Cad Bane got the best of, or Zero the Hutt got the best of Sheev Palpatine. Well, I don't think Zero got the best of Sheev Palpatine. I think Cad Bane got the best of Sheev Palpatine. Uh, which which is what makes this episode even more impressive is that I, I, unless I am proven wrong, unless I am misremembering this, I don't think that any direct connection to the Separatists or to Palpatine is linked to this hostage scenario. Um, they never use battle droids. They use their own crew. And I believe that it's just the Hutt family that is probably paying them to get one of their own out of prison. So this is an example of an outside element. One of the few examples in Star Wars, at least uh, to this point, of an outside element from the Republic, from the Empire, from the Rebel Alliance, pulling the wool over the eyes of our main characters and uh, 
getting what they want, kind of working the galaxy to their advantage. Yeah. Um, yeah, that could be. Um, maybe I was just looking to see if I could find information real quick to prove you wrong. Obviously, I can't. Um, so, yeah, it looks like the Huts won the day. At least for now. I think that at the beginning of season two, that very well could change. But that's a conversation for another time. Yes. Uh, so, Ben, what are the episodes that you think should replace Blue Shadow Arc and Hostage Crisis on this list? Well, I think Shadow Arc or uh, Hostage Crisis should be replaced with uh, the kidnapping of Dooku. Uh, oh. And Dooku captured and uh, the Gungan general. I, those I, two episodes. That introduces Hondo Anaka, who will turn out to be uh, one of the most awesome characters in Star Wars. Um, and in that arc, we see the Jedi's willingness to uh, deal with the criminal element in a way that you don't expect Jedi to. Um, and, and you just like the character of Hondo is cool and him being introduced, I think is uh, more pivotal to star Wars than Cad Bane who Cad Bane is cool, but he, he doesn't really have the impact on the overall star Wars story that Hondo Anaka does. That's fair. I, I, it's really hard <laughs> to limit these down. There are a lot of cool <laughs> moments, like uh, the Ryloth arc is in yep. this season with, uh, oh my God, I can't remember, Cham, Cham Simdula, yep. uh, the father of Hera. And the uh, there's a really cool episode as well uh, with General Grievous, where Kid Fisto and his former apprentice wind up going to Grievous's lair. Yeah, and uh, that's, Grievous has yep. to fight them back. That that's also a really really interesting look into uh, that character that we never had really gotten before. So I, there are a lot of excellent moments in this season. <clears throat> I just it was hard for me to narrow it down, but I I did think that Hostage Crisis had a larger impact on the season overall, just because it it introduced another. And you're right, Hondo Onaka is a very important character. I'm not selling him short in that regard. Um, but I, I think that Cad Bane is just, uh, he's just very cool. <laughs> I, I don't disagree that Cad Bane is very cool. And, um, you know, seeing somebody get the best of Palpatine potentially is a pretty serious thing. I'm, I'm not denying that. Um, but if, if I would definitely replace Blue Shadow with the Dooku captured arc, uh, if nothing else, that definitely is is one of my favorite parts okay um it, it also introduces one of those characters where you're like no shit uh in dooku's second or not dooku uh hondo's second in command turk falso okay do tell well his name is falso <laughs> and I he suppose. betrays hondo like nobody saw that coming yeah i i guess i never really made that connection before <laughs> Turk Falso. Right, Turk Falso. I'm oh, a, he betrayed me. No shit. I'm a Falso. That's that's kind of like a non-Star Wars reference, but, you know, Bernie Madoff stole a lot of people's money, and I'm just like, his last name is literally Madoff. <laughs> like, he made off with all your money. He's a fucking Star Wars villain. That's what he is, because that's... 
So, yeah, Turk Falso is the guy who betrays Hondo Anaka. Uh, Hondo Anaka. And, and Hondo's not a good guy to begin with. So um, him being betrayed is kind of ironic. Um, Absolutely. And he has his own little salacious crumb, if I remember correctly. Um, he does. Yeah, he, I think he does have a um, one of that species as well. So, um, you know, that's kind of cool. I really like that. And then the other arc that I, I don't know if I'd replace Hostage Crisis because I just used this one to replace Blue Shadow. But um, the other arc is the uh, Talls and Pantoran arc where the Pantorans go to the moon, uh, one of the moons of Pantora, and they there's uh, like sentient wampas that live there. Yeah, we actually saw one of these creatures in A New Hope. He's in the cantina. Yeah, and uh, he, uh, you know, they they start a peace treaty and whatever, and then Rio Chicho's Chicho's uh, father decides that uh, it's a moon of Pantora, and so Pantora controls it, and we don't need to negotiate with these people because they're, you know, under his control. They're living on our land. And I think it's interesting, um, as I mentioned probably before we started recording, I'm pretty shitty to the Naboo because I think the Naboo are shitty people. And this just kind of exemplifies that uh, the ruling class in Star Wars is generally shitty um, and do not treat indigenous people well. So uh, I really like that. But then, of course, uh, Ryu... um, is more human, more of a good guy than her father is. And and you see that disparity between generations. Uh, so we see that entitled ruling class that are the people that the separatists are actually rebelling against. They control the Senate, they control the government, and they think they control everything in their little corner of the universe. And so I thought that that was an interesting series or an interesting arc, and it tells us that it's not just the Naboo who feel that way. It's it's other cultures in the galaxy um, that feel entitled in that way, and uh, those people ultimately end up being the foundations of the rebellion later on, which just adds credence to my theory that they're fighting for themselves and not the common people. And so, since it supports me, I like that arc. Okay. Why why am I not surprised? Well, you shouldn't be. You should not be surprised at all. Uh, And I'm not. (laughs) Just just like the Dooku arc, I should have known that you would have picked that one, too. Oh, come on. I I can't believe that Hondo didn't make your list. I mean, I I like Hondo enough, but he... uh, Honestly, I think I liked him more in Rebels than I did in Clone Wars, just because in Clone Wars, he was a real scumbag. And but it, the thing is, he's in Rebels, too. I mean, that's Hondo's level of influence. Yeah. And Cad Bane's in, what, three, four episodes? No, he's in more than that. I don't know. We'll we'll we'll, we'll debate that another day, I guess. Okay. Um, but overall, I think that this was a very, very solid beginning to the Clone Wars as a season. Uh, I think that almost every episode is a uh, kind of a home run um, they, with the exception of the first episode, the very first one uh, that you were mentioning ambush, which kind of just uh, it it's very, let's talk, let's talk about ambush for a little bit. Cause it's, it's not that it's a bad episode, 
But it's very, look at how cool Yoda is. Right. It's like, oh, Yoda literally goes down to this planet by himself and is like, oh, you're going to challenge me, are you? Like, I, I, I'm i going to traverse this entire planet and fight all these droids just so that I can prove that the Separatists suck. Right. It's a lot of, uh, it's a, um, a pissing contest, essentially. Between Dooku, who's not there, and Yoda, who's just saving the day continually. And Asajj Ventress, who is made to look like a total non-factor here. Yoda, Even though she is such a badass. Yoda literally takes her lightsabers out of her hand. Right, shuts them off and takes them away. And then and some, gives them somehow back. she gets them back. I, I think she takes them back. No, no, he sends them back to her with the Force. Oh. He shuts them off, pulls them out of her hand catches them in the air looks at her and says strong in the dark side you are but not that strong because she says she's going to kill him right and he says strong in the dark side you are but not that strong and sends her lightsabers back in wow. the ultimate insult just gives them back to her like you're not a concern you, you can be totally armed here and it doesn't matter so you had the chance to take dooku's lieutenant out and you didn't do it right because yoda's a dick yeah um but the other thing that we see more important than Yoda being an ass uh, that I think is when he goes and tells the clone troopers that they're not just clones. Well, right. That's a very good moment. I'm not saying it isn't. I, no, I, no, it, it, I'm not saying it's a good moment. I'm, I'm saying it's a terrible moment. Oh, because Yoda sits with those clones and he tells them to take off their helmets. He wants to see their faces. And the clones are like, well, all our faces are the same. And he's like, in the Force, you're all different because you're all living beings. And remember, this is the episode that comes right after the animated or the feature film in which we see clone troopers cut down by the handful. I mean, it's one of the first times you just, in Star Wars... In in the movies, you see a stormtrooper get shot and fall over. But you get, in the feature film, you see these stormtroopers just blasted away. They get hit with blasters so hard, the camera's behind them and they're charging forward. And they get hit so hard, they're thrown past the camera. Well, right, that's the reality of war. Oh, no, I agree. But now contrast that where where the clone troopers are being sent into battle as if they were droids and then yoda tells them that the jedi can distinguish each and every one individually because their their signature in the force is unique and different but they're not it, being sent into battle as if they were droids. I think. Oh yeah, they are. I, in I, the very in the very first feature film, the hell they're not. I disagree. I think that the idea of the clone troopers is that they're they are able to reason, they are able to, they they're, they have ingenuity, they have that Wait, human how, factor. How long has it been since you watched the feature film? I guess it has been a while. Watch it again and just watch the Battle of Christophus and how many clone troopers they just get sent. You know, waves charge and go. Follow me, and yeah, you've got a Jedi saying follow me, but. You're talking about, as Count Dooku points out, um, or as uh, the King of Tal'Daria points out, one Jedi is worth somewhere between 100 and 1,000 battle droids. 
A thousand. That's what he says. He says one Jedi is not worth 100 battle droids. Right. They're worth a thousand. thousand. So you see, like, Anakin jumps off the roof of a building and lands in the middle of the battle droids and starts hacking. And it's the clone troopers say, what's the plan, General? And he says, follow me and jumps. And the clone troopers jetpack down and start fighting. Anakin doesn't have any individual concern for any of them other than Rex. And the same thing with Obi-Wan leading the ground troops. He orders them in the face of overwhelming odds. They're outnumbered. The only thing keeping them alive is their cannons. And this force field is protecting the bad guys from the cannons. Ahsoka and Anakin have to go take it out. And Obi-Wan is ordering troops to march, to charge in mass on a regiment of clone of uh, battle droids backed up by tanks. They can't win that fight. The, well, the, the better strategy would be to sit in cover where they were and shoot from cover. And they just don't do that. Well, I, I think I would posit that at that point in the Clone War particularly, uh, it was a pretty fresh war. And Anakin and Obi-Wan were not experienced com- generals. You know what I mean? they uh, You said it yourself. Anakin's like, follow me. And he just jumps down and starts fighting. Of course well, that's going to work for Anakin, but that's right. not going to work for the people that are with him because they're not Jedi. And Anakin, I, 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 I guess I could defend that from the perspective that I don't think that they were sending them in mindlessly to try and you know just use them like droids and kill them. I feel like that's more the inexperience of the of the generals than it is the, their lack of value for the clones. I I just, when when Yoda tells them that they each have an individual uh, presence in the Force, that they're each unique individuals, and then the way that the Jedi treat the clone troopers throughout the series, I think if you watch it with that perspective that the Jedi know that each clone is unique, the Jedi, if a hundred clones dressed in brand new unmarked armor walk on screen and one of them is Rex and another one is Cody and they don't have the blue shoulder pad and the red shoulder pad respectively, you and I can't tell them apart. But the Jedi on screen can. It's, and I, it's certain. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and I think when you watch it in that perspective, we've already discussed how um, using or, or using sentient beings uh, versus droids when you have the technology to make droids is kind of shitty. Um, and we've discussed programming droids to feel pain is kind of shitty. Um, and by kind of, I mean very in both cases. But the idea that for the Jedi, because the Jedi also have the technology to build droids. They could be building battle droids as soon as they know the war starts. Right. But they keep getting clones. Well, the the question is, do they? Because it, it is, I, I think it's highly, and this is kind of getting away from our point, I think it's highly suggested, um, at least, that the reason why the separatists are using battle droids is because they have so many of these titans of industry on their side. I mean, the, the techno union and, and such and such, the, the banking clan, you know, these people who control money are all working for Dooku. 
And so right, I, I think that these factories that would be constructing these droids in mass are constructing them for the separatists. So there, there is no opportunity have, for the Republic to get them. No bullshit, because you have titans of industry in the Republic side as well. I, I, but we don't see them. I mean, I, I guess. Oh, again, yeah, we do. We, we see the starships. Those yeah. are all made on Corellia and Kuat. Yeah, that's true. And those are actually the people you think of as manufacturing powerhouses. I mean, the battle droids are made on Geonosis, for fuck's sake. Did you even know what Geonosis was before the prequels? Well, I don't think they were made on Geonosis. I think Geonosis was just one of their bases. I thought they were constructed on Geonosis. Oh, that's true. Maybe maybe some of them were. Let's see where the battle... Where's the battle droid factory where 3PO gets his head switched with a battle droid? I mean, that is Geonosis, yes. So they, they, they were making some of them there, but obviously not all of them, because... It's not as if taking Geonosis ends the Clone War. It's just the beginning. Right. Oh, I agree. And the and the Separatists wipe out the Geonosians. Right. Um, but anyway, the, the, and the Trade Federation runs a bunch of them. But the, the thing is, there are titans of industry and the, on, on the side of the Republic. But the Republic doesn't use them to make battle droids the republic uses them to build starships and send sentient beings out to fight and if you watch it and, and there's now i i argued from the beginning even if they are clones the jedi are assholes for using them as cannon fodder because the clones get no choice in the matter they're clones and the Jedi keep using clones because there's an episode later on in the series where Asajj Ventress sabotages the clone factory on Camino. Uh, uh, Camino, thank you. I could, I don't know why I couldn't think of the name. Um, and they have to go there to try and stop her, and she um, corrupts the DNA so they can't make more clone troopers. I don't. So, uh, well, until that point, they're still making clones. Well, right, they have to. If 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 the enemy has an endless supply of troops, you also have to continue making troops. The enemy doesn't have an endless supply of troops. They need to gather resources to build battle droids, which they seem to be able to do pretty easily. Right, but the Jedi don't ever try and attack the manufacturing centers after Geonosis. Well, maybe we'll maybe we'll see an attempt where they do later on in the series. I don't remember every episode, to be honest. Yeah, is, I don't either, to be honest with yeah. you. I had to rewatch parts of it. For example, I went through and I read the descriptions, and then I rewatched the episodes that the descriptions made me go, oh, yeah, that was great. And then I started watching the rest of the series, you sure. know, because I wanted to know about the ones I thought were good at first. And I completely didn't even think of the Blue Shadow, uh, the Blue Shadow Virus episode until you brought it up reading the description i was like oh yeah i i vaguely remember that i didn't think that was that impressive and i didn't rewatch that episode well maybe if you had no i'm i'm, I'm kidding <laughs> i'm kidding no it, it, i mean that's why we're looking back on this right that's why right. we're going through to to see if we can get a a better understanding of what we remember i i, I think you've made some very good points uh and i think that it's certainly the idea that Yoda says, you know, we can all, you know, you're all different in the force. You don't have to feel like you're just cogs in the machine. Uh, that idea definitely is very damning when we find out 
how much the Jedi really know or well, how much they eventually it, become to know. And later then when they start referring to troopers by number instead of, you know, because Rex and Cody are really the ones that the Jedi refer to by name. No, I mean, the Jedi try to refer to the names. If if the troopers have given themselves a name, the Jedi try to use it, at least in my observation. You're probably right. I, I do have a bias against Jedi who yeah. aren't Anakin or Ahsoka, so I, know. I admit that. I know, and it's unfortunate. But maybe they'll win you over yet. I, mean, I doubt it. But, I, but I, I doubt it as well. But there's going to be more episodes of this, Zach. There will be. Uh, the one thing that I remember... Um, and this is one one of the reasons I point out an ambush because this is going to be a reoccurring theme of our discussion uh, as we go through the Clone Wars season by season. Yoda's a dick. A little. No, a lot. A Yoda's little. an asshole. A little. And, no. Again, <laughs> <laughs> you keep using that word. Yeah, it's just it's just a little bit. Thing. He's just a little bit of an asshole. That's not that big of a deal. Come on. Um, although we do get a great line in ambush from Asajj, which is hilarious. Um, and we see actually how unprepared the battle droids are, how terribly programmed they are. Um, first, because they try to run their tanks through an area that's too small for them, even though they have binoculars that tell them size. <laughs> which is that's ridiculous. True. Because because I'm a human, I drive a truck for my big boy job, I know how wide my truck is, and if I know how big a space is, I can tell if that space is bigger or, bigger or narrower than my truck. Without a pair of macro binoculars. Without a pair of macro binoculars built into my head. Um, and then they also, and this is one of my favorite lines, um, one of the, uh, Asajj tells the battle droids to go find Yoda. And the battle droid in charge says, I don't know what he looks like. <laughs> How the hell do you not know who Master Yoda is if you're fighting a war against the Jedi? That's yeah. a programming issue. And it's a serious programming issue because all the battle droids are controlled from a droid control ship. So you didn't think to put Yoda's picture in the master database of bad guys? You really should have. <laughs> right. Um, but Asajj looks at him and goes, he's the shriveled green guy with a lightsaber. Should be pretty easy to find. <laughs> Which is just an awesome reply. He's the wrinkled, the short, wrinkled guy with a lightsaber. Before uh, we wrap this up, and I'm not trying to not trying to shut you down, but before we wrap this up, because we are running long on time. Um, sorry. I, uh, no, that's fine. I, I wanted to make sure that we touched on uh, the development of Ahsoka throughout the season. Ahsoka is the really the greatest creation of this show. I agree. Uh, and she winds up being very important in Star Wars Rebels later on, and who knows exactly how far her reaches will go. Um, she is still an active member of the canon at this point. Her story has not yet been completed. but uh, Thankfully, because we thought it was for a while. We did. But this is the beginning of her tale, and she's very much a... You know, fresh out of the temple, wide-eyed, big heart Jedi. Um, she does not have the same view of the Jedi that you or I have. She doesn't see them as a, you know, quote-unquote malevolent force. I'm not saying that I do, but you definitely do. Right. Um, and she uh, she really thinks that they're, they're fighting for the greater good. Uh, and I think that Anakin also feels that way. And they're... 
exuberance kind of rubs off on each other. They become a very effective tandem. Much uh, more effective than the Jedi Council anticipated, I think. You really think so? Yeah, I don't think the Jedi... Well, I I can make a very compelling argument that Ahsoka Tano is probably the biggest nail in the coffin of Anakin's fall. Oh, I I, from, I don't know about uh, the biggest. Mina. Well, I, I was just going to say, aside from Padme, because fear of losing Padme was the biggest. I don't think there's an argument there. But Ahsoka is the very next nail, and it's a big one. Certainly. Um, I, I don't know if we get a lot of of growth here, but we certainly get a lot of lessons for her throughout the season, like the lesson about attachment that I, I don't think that she follows particularly well. Uh, <laughs> and that's fine because she doesn't wind up being a Jedi at the end of all this anyway. So which um, is great for her. That's great for her. I mean, she, she survives the purge. Um, I, I think that being a, what, 13 year old, 14 year old, uh, on a, the, the battlefront of a war, uh, it can affect you in a lot of ways and those ways haven't exactly started to show themselves yet but i think that she uh, is is picking up a lot of a lot of lessons and a lot of uh different strategies and how to you know keep herself alive which is really going to serve her well later on in life well and the other thing is she's a good i don't want to say foil for anakin um but she exemplifies or she really as you said, they make a good team. Um, she really brings that out in Anakin. She's reckless like he is, um, but she has more of a... She's not, I don't want to say his conscious, but she's almost his empathy. Because she genuinely feels for the people around them, where Anakin at this point and later on, arguably... Um, he has two feelings. He loves Padme and he feels betrayed by everybody else and ultimately by her. Um, but Ahsoka is the one real attachment that we see. Um, you can argue that he and Obi-Wan are brothers. You know, I think of you as a brother. I think they even say that to each other right before they kill each other or try. Well, um, oh, that was what Obi-Wan says. You were my brother, Anakin. I loved you. But to Anakin, Obi-Wan is always that mentor master that he has to follow, who's always yelling at him not to do things, and then Anakin does them anyway and ends up being right. So Obi-Wan is always that restriction on Anakin for no good reason in Anakin's eyes. But Ahsoka really, because he cares about Ahsoka and she cares about everybody around her, she becomes his empathy when he, I don't think he'd have it otherwise. Right. And he, she kind of, she teaches him more about that view of the galaxy than I think Obi-Wan ever could have. Well, yeah. The Jedi are ill-equipped to handle emotion of any kind. Right. Um, and, and even the Jedi who have felt emotion, we've talked about Obi-Wan has been in love before. Um, but he's actively worked to suppress that. So the Jedi and the, the most of the Jedi are doing the quote-unquote right thing because of a sense of duty. Anakin's doing the quote-unquote right thing because he's the chosen one, and 
he has a sense of ambition. But Ahsoka is genuinely driven by her care of people around her in a way that I don't think the other characters are. Now, she was to this point raised by the Jedi, so can't you attribute to that? <laughs> can't you attribute that to the Jedi in any way? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. No, no, I can't. Well, and if you remember from the movie, uh, it's actually Obi-Wan who uh, requests the Padawan. It is, yeah. And they just assign her to Anakin. And again, Yoda says, you know, Anakin will be a great teacher for her, but he'll have trouble giving up his attachment to his apprentice. So how Yoda could see that, you know, six seasons in a movie in the future and not notice his attachment for Padme, I beyond me. Especially when they do such a poor job of hiding, oh, <laughs> hiding yeah, their affection terrible. for one another. Really terrible. It's like uh, all of the... I get it that it's like... It's a kid's show, sort of, at the end of the day. And they want to make it very obvious for the kids that these two characters are in love. But come on. Right. Obi-Wan can sense Alderaan being destroyed while he's in hyperspace, but he can't sense that Anakin's in love with Padme. Well, no, he does know. He knows that. He must. Yeah. Well, and Yoda has to, too, again, because Anakin outright tells him. Yeah, basically. But and that, yeah, that's neither here nor Yoda a lot. But anyway, the, my point is, more than any other Jedi character, Padme has real attachments for people. You mean, you mean uh, Ahsoka? Yeah, that's what I mean, Ahsoka. Sorry, thank you for correcting me. Padme is just a dangerous slut who has ambitions. <laughs> um Ahsoka has real attachments, and we see it, and we'll get to these later on, but we see it with Barriss Ophie. Um, we see it with Anakin. We we see it when, when she comes in contact with anybody. And the Jedi just don't have that, and I think that's the role she plays, and she kind of becomes Anakin's little sister more than Anakin's apprentice. That is very true, and we will follow up on that connection and her development as our look at the seasons continues. Well, Ben, I think that's going to do it for this week. Wonderful. We'll what do we got on deck for next week, Zach? Let's do something rare and tell people in advance. Well, we've tried to do that recently. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's a little troubling. I'm, I'm still... <laughs> I'm still kind of coming up with an idea, but I what I think I would like to do, Ben, in two weeks before our appearance at uh, Fire Nice is talk a little bit about the, you know, I, I called it the good, the bad and the ugly of the Star Wars films. Maybe we can pick a specific set of the films. Maybe we can pick the prequels or the original trilogy um, and, and really kind of because we... We talk in generalities, and we have talked about a lot of the films, I mean, all in depth, but it has been a while since we covered that first set of six films in depth. You know, it's been almost two years. Um, well, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. So I think it. that it would probably be a good exercise for us, since we've been so hypercritical of the Disney era films, to maybe go back and, and just kind of highlight our favorite parts and maybe not so favorite parts, and then maybe just outright stupid parts of those movies to kind of prove 
that Star Wars has always had some shortcomings. Right, and and when when you're when you're looking back on them through the glasses of nostalgia, it's really easy to overlook those things. Um, I think this is exemplified more, or this is no better exemplified than when people accuse Ray of being a Mary Sue and forget that Luke had just as much training and nobody questions badass Luke in return. Yeah. Um, and that, but, that's, that's just an example of, of what we right. could cover. Uh, and we'll talk about that amongst ourselves and kind of figure out where we want to go with that. But until then, Ben, may the force be with you. And also with you, Zach. This has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.